Damn, son, where'd you find this? Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode 39 of the Fly Route Podcast. I am your host, Anthony, a.k.a. Tony Playboy, a.k.a. Hard and Sammy, a.k.a. Soldier Fields. And I'm joined here by one of my nearest and dearest, Demarcus. You got any a.k.a.s for yourself today? I'm still with the ice tray. He tied it up. They're 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 about to be finished oh, tonight. God. I'm telling you, they're better than you think they are. Okay, sixes and six. You just like that because the way it sounds. No, because sixers and six. Look, look. First thing I want to talk about is wow, wow, wow. Things kind of were crazy in the NBA today. They were nuts. Right, we record on Wednesday. So, you know, CP3 news, Kawhi news, CP3 has COVID, even though he's vaccinated. Breakthrough case. Yeah, looks like it. Okay. Kawhi injures his ACL. Freak injury. It looked like a normal play. Like, their knees bumped. I I saw their knees bump on that play. Kawhi ends up lipping off the court, takes himself out the game. But they basically had it won at that point. Yeah, I mean, when I watched the replay originally, I did not see the knee bump. So I have to go back and look at that. But it just looked like a normal, like, in and out play by Kawhi. It was strange. Look, it'll be interesting to see how things shake up because there's going to be a lot of breaking news coming out relatively soon. So. We have an exciting show for you all today. We are going to get into an update on the Deshaun Watson case. It's been a while since we filled you all in. And as the season gets closer, we have a lot of decisions to make. We are going to get into our predictions for the AFC South. Give you the fly route for the newly vacant head coach position for the New Orleans Pelicans. And get into our all NBA snubs the right way. And last but not least, we are going to give a big, big, big ballers bouquet to Juan Toscano Anderson from the Golden State Warriors. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. The fly route pod. Welcome to the tee off. Oh, spill that tea, sis. This is how we like to start our show. We like to spill some tea on our favorite athletes and some of the crazy situations they get themselves into. Look, this week, this week, we are going to have to dive back into the Deshaun Watson situation. For those of you that are not familiar, we have some past episodes basically giving a lot of the details, but long story short. 22, originally 23-plus women have basically filed litigation against Deshaun Watson, accusing him of sexual misconduct, assault, etc. They're all being represented by Rusty Harden, representing all of these women. And at this point, we know they've all been identified. They were forcefully identified by a court order and... Where are we now? Okay, so the first thing I want to talk about happened back in, back in April. And this is when we get the first official response 
from Watson's lawyer, Tony Busby, and it's seven pages, but I will give you some of the highlights that are extremely necessary. First and foremost, they are staunchly denying all of the claims made against Deshaun Watson. And they list out some stats that I think are important and will give you a shape of the way his defense is currently going to go. The first is they say that eight of the 22 women actively bragged, praised, or were excited about massaging Deshaun Watson, and they have proof of that, text messages, social media, etc. Your face got a little weird. Before? Like they were excited before they massaged Deshaun no, Watson? like they After. bragged on social media. Like, I massaged Deshaun Watson. Seven of the 22 willingly worked or offered to work with Deshaun Watson after the basic incident that they say when they massaged him that they were assaulted. Three, they claim, lied about the number of sessions they had with Deshaun Watson. Three, they say, lied about their alleged trauma, abuse, or harm. I don't know how they claim to prove that other than just like incident did not take place but it was interesting i'm we are sports people we love the stats right five they have proof told people that their aim was to get money out of deshaun watson and five they say have scrubbed or entirely deleted the social media accounts that they use to promote their business So here's what I'll say about that. I watch enough Law and Order SVU over the years to put out some facts of my own about your stats. The first thing is the social media stuff makes sense. We know that when these kind of things go to court, lawyers often try to slut shame these women. So you get rid of social media stuff because even if you do whatever online, that doesn't justify being assaulted. That's the first thing. Facts. The second is survivors often get facts wrong about the case after the fact. That's not unusual whatsoever. It doesn't mean nothing happened. The ones that give me a little bit more pause are the cases in which the women bragged online or were willing to work with him again after. It doesn't mean nothing happened or proof that nothing happened, but it is a little suspicious suspicious to say the least. Um, as to why they would want to talk about it or put themselves in that position again if the allegations are true. So that's what I'll say about that. Um, We've said from the beginning, we've had, like we said, past episodes on this, the lawyer for Deshaun Watson has not made the best arguments when it comes to defending his client against these allegations because even the statute just listed, though they do cast some kind of doubt on the stories of the accusers. They don't prove that Deshaun didn't do anything. Um, Just like when they came out uh, after the initial 20 something allegations and said that seven massage therapists really loved Deshaun. Like that doesn't prove he didn't do anything to the other 22. (laughs) Yo. Oh my God. I almost forgot about that. The, if these women say he did not assault them, he obviously could have assaulted no women. <laughs> yeah, 
strong argument. That's why they pay them the big bucks. <laughs> it's embarrassing his law school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it's also important to note that while an accumulation of stats like this can and may in the future sound convincing, it does not cast doubt on all 22 accusers of Deshaun Watson. Exactly. It is very likely, right? Possibly likely that if Deshaun Watson did anything wrong, we do not know that when things start coming out, hitting the light, other people can see Money Train come forward. We don't know, right? It's also possible because this is a large number of accusers. It could be a serial situation. We really don't know anything yet. No. On the money thing, I will say that seeking out money as relief is not also uh, also not a sign that nothing happened. Um, if something, I had a problem at first with the civil allegations, but the lack of criminal allegations. As long as there are criminal allegations, I have no problem with the civil obligation. If you were wronged, if you were harmed, and that person has the monetary ability to help compensate you for your pain and suffering, then you should be able to seek that. That's why we have civil lawsuits in the first place. So no one should be, just because you file a civil suit, shouldn't be kind of skewed to, uh, to show that you are lying about something or nothing happened. Okay, I'm 100% with you. So where does that leave us now? And I think this is very important because people are thinking, well, what happens for the 2021-2022 season for Deshaun Watson? Some people may hope that the NFL would provide clarity on the situation using something such as the commissioner's exemplist for, you know, situations such as these. The NFL has refused to do anything, which makes it pretty limbo for Deshaun Watson if he wasn't already holding out a camp in OTAs right technically he's supposed to be there he'd either be getting paid or not getting paid on the commissioner's exemplist like it's it's very blurry and I don't think it's going to be decided anytime soon so for the most part and this is according to ESPN's Jeremy Fowler and Sarah Bishop Bishop Right. He's not going to give any any sworn testimony, any actual like, you know. Basically, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Binding testimony, yes, dispositions, etc. Until February 22nd, 2022. So not like the end of the case, the really early beginning of the case actually being decided if it goes to court can't happen until after the Super Bowl this year. Do you know if that is for the civil cases or the criminal? That sounds like the civil cases. So I think it is for the civil cases, not the criminal cases. However, the criminal cases are largely being conducted by the Houston PD. There hasn't been much actual, you know, progress on that end. In fact, the women that have levied these accusations have actively said they do not think the Houston PD is handling their issues properly, taking their accusations seriously enough, 
showing them enough respect during the process, and some of them have even declined to continue working with Houston PD. It's sad, but not surprising that they would say that. Yeah, that's, that's not an uncommon situation for women in, well, this situation to be in. So that's kind of wow, right? They're basically, if basically sans a settlement, there is no chance of Deshaun Watson playing this season, period. Yeah, and the way the civil cases work, there will not be a settlement before he is deposed by the opposing lawyers. And the reason why is that most lawyers use the depositions to find out how strong of a case they actually have before they go to court. And so the earliest I can see a settlement happening is maybe 2022. I think there will be some other evidence that comes out before Deshaun is officially interviewed um, in front of a camera. Um, They'll probably request things like bank account statements that prove payment of the services. They will probably request text messages, social media access, et cetera. And those things may have incriminating evidence in them that makes Deshaun want to settle, but we won't know probably until at least the end of this year. And it's interesting enough because in most situations you'd be right, but there's a lot on the line in this situation that might lead someone like Deshaun Watson to want to settle early, such as a year of your football career, hundreds of millions of dollars, etc. But it, it's important that as of May, like late May, right, Deshaun Watson's lawyer has said Watson is not engaged in any settlement discussions with his accusers at all. They say that all reports that you have heard about these settlement discussions were engaged slash initiated by the lawyers representing these women, i.e. Tony Busby, right? And they have said, and they say very strongly, and I'll give this one a quote, while we have never approached Mr. Busby about a settlement, he has approached us on numerous occasions in the past about the possibility of settlement. We made it clear all along that would be no settlement unless the terms are made public and all participants are allowed to speak in their own defense at all time. Yeah, that's not just that's not how settlements go. So that'll never happen. Uh, see, see, and and to be clear, Watson's lawyer is the one being ridiculous here. Are you sure if Watson believes he's innocent, right, and actively wants to prove his innocence in everything we've heard from Deshaun Watson's camp, because we haven't really heard much from Deshaun Watson himself, right? So everything we've heard from Deshaun Watson's camp is he undeniably believes he's innocent and de- is hell-bent on improving that to everybody. Which means having everything be fully public is extremely key to that second part. Well, wouldn't the criminal case take care of that? The criminal case just says that they can't prove like the re- beyond a reasonable doubt thing. Not but all of the records from the criminal case will be public. And it seems like if everybody is testifying in their criminal case and that stuff comes out, I'm sure if there's a trial, there are reporters in the courtroom, they'll have transcripts of that stuff it'll be printed it'll be shared i mean if they're both happening one criminal and one civil i try to get rid of the civil liability first and then get him off of the criminal liability 
and hopefully the transcripts from the court proceedings come out and prove he's innocent. Not to mention the decision itself. That that's very possible. I'm no lawyer, but you know, I think they want to. Han- if you're going to settle, you want to handle this as quickly as possible. Well, that should have been in April then. <laughs> you ain't lying. You ain't lying. It's interesting because we've heard rumors recently that Deshaun wants to play for the Broncos. Did you hear those? I have not heard those. So apparently on Akeem Tlaib's podcast, right, Catch and Fades, right, Watson's former teammate. You That's like a nice name. Why do we think of that? Yeah, it was, it was hot. It was hot. <laughs> catch and Fades, right? Uh, so his podcast is Catch and Fades. Watson's former teammate, Kareem Jackson, said that Watson personally told him that he wants to be a Bronco. He said, like, and I can quote it if you like, but he basically said, I talked to him over the last couple of weeks, and all he's been telling me, I want to be in Denver. So that's not one conversation. It is multiple conversations over weeks that he's mindset Denver, 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 Denver. Well, anywhere but Houston right now works. So that's great. Listen, a lot of things going on in this case. We'll probably keep bringing people updates about this case for, I don't know, the next six months, a year. Who knows? But there's too much smoke. There's got to be some fire. I'm sorry, but I'm starting to think very strongly that Deshaun did something wrong. Whether or not that he thinks it was wrong, maybe he thinks it was consensual, that's not the woman's interpretation of the situation. That was not the impact that he had on her. Okay. All right, strong take. I'm with it. I'm with it. I, I Speak your mind. I think regardless, everybody should want to see justice done here. No agendas, no special interests. It's the truth. Exactly. And that was your tee off. Ooh, 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 spit that tea, ooh, sis. Spit that tea, ooh. sis. What's up, Playboy? All right, all right. We are still giving you our regular season predictions as it inches closer and closer. Let's get into the AFC South. This is going to be a relatively interesting division. And I think I'll start where we just left off with the Houston Texans. All right, all right, DeMarcus, DeMarcus, let me know. Where you have the Houston Texans this year. So, you know how I like to do this. I normally look at a team, go through their schedule, and I tell you what games they've lost. And that's usually the simplest way to talk about what a team looks like. Um, For the Texans, I can look at their schedule and tell you the one game I think they're going to (laughs) win. It's not great. I think they have a fighting chance against the Jets. Ooh. That's it. Besides okay. that, I think the Texans have a strong chance to be the first team to ever go 1-16. So you think that week 12 matchup against the Jets, right? Okay, I'm not against that. I had two, possibly. Oh, you're nicer than me. I had two, and I thought week 15 at Jacksonville, they might be able to eke one out. And I'm with you. You had to think about this because when we talked about the Lions Mm -hmm. and we said they were going to be a bad team, we got 
flamed all over YouTube for it. And I was like, they may win five or four or five games. I people said like, three or four, and the people could not stand it. Yeah. Uh, but they were look, real upset with you. Yeah. But, okay. But this one? This one? It's a real dumpster fire. This I can see one? it from Dallas. Yes. <laughs> I, look, they won four games. Four out of 16 last year. Thank you. With Deshaun Watson. Transcending quarterback talent. Deshaun Watson. Their quarterback depth chart, basically Tyrod Taylor is going to be the starter. Are they going to take a flyer on rookie Davis Mills? Tyrod. Poe Tyrod. Man, he... We talked about him before. As you go back to the beginning when we first started the podcast, when he had his punctured lung. The black he's, Alex Smith. He's been in some rough situations. I feel for him, like, for all I know, some person in Houston may think Tyrod is Deshaun. <laughs> Do you put it past some of those people? I would hope so that they wouldn't. Like, they don't look nothing alike. Houston has black people. Okay, okay, <laughs> okay, okay. Look, 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 look. You ain't lying. You ain't lying. It's odd. The Houston's roster moves don't make any sense. They, they got worse. Every running back possibly. They basically were like, are you willing to even sign a contract with the Houston Texans? I hear Le'Veon's available. Sold. I mean, basically, they might as well. They have David Johnson, Philip Lindsay, Mark Ingram, and Rex Burkhead all in their running back room. And they will be so far behind in every game, they can't run the ball. So you're talking like 2016 Pro Bowl running backs. Yes, yes, yes. But it's 2021. Yes, yes 100%. <laughs> okay, look, 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 let's move on. Let's move on. Other team here, I want to talk about the Colts. The Indianapolis Colts, they made a big move at quarterback. Carson Wentz, first year, back with Frank Reich. Where do you have them? Now, that's a little bit tougher of a conversation. I feel some kind of way about Carson Wentz. I have for a while on this show, uh, for those who have watched for a little while, they'll be okay. They'll be decent. What I, is decent? I have them going 9-8. and eight. Okay. So, just one game over winning. I think they lose to a bunch of good teams. I have them losing... Against Seattle, against the Rams, at the Titans, at Baltimore, at San Francisco, at Buffalo, at Tampa Bay, and at Arizona. And none of those losses would be ridiculous for any team. Um, but yet alone a team with a new quarterback who, last time we saw him, was really, really struggling. Okay, I actually had nine and a possible on wins. So for all my space players out there, I really strongly felt nine and a possible. And I wholeheartedly believe they'll beat the Miami, the Texas twice, the Titans, the Jets. They'll beat the Titans twice? No, I said once. Oh, okay. Miami, Texans twice, Titans once, Jets once, Jags twice, Cardinals once, Raiders once, and my possible is week seven at the 49ers. Yeah, I have that as a loss. I think the I think, Niners well, will be... It's the reason why it's my possible. Yeah, okay. the, the nine wins were the first ones I gave you. My possible is week seven at the 49ers. So maybe 10 wins. So my question for you is, ranking-wise, does this team finish second or third in the division? 
Oh, second. Second. I think the Titans have a 10-win kind of floor for me right now. Like, they could, every team kind of gets a win here or there that you didn't expect. That's why it's hard for a team to go 0-16, right? And I think Titans go 10-7. They take an L to the Seahawks Week 2, the Bills, and the Chiefs Week 6 and 7, the Rams Week 9, the Pats Week 12, and I think that's a possible win for them, the Steelers Week 15, and the 49ers Week 16. See, I would actually have them definitely winning the Steelers game. Oh, okay. Because... Big Ben, old quarterback, he's been fading late in the season lately. Week 15's real late. His elbow gets tired. See, the Steelers' defense is so good. And that is just one thing we can book, is the Steelers play good defense. And defense is going to be the issue. Against Derrick Henry and Julio Jones. Yes, yes. And more importantly, it's the biggest weakness of this Titans team. So this Titans team has all the tools to put up points. Week in, week out. Derrick Henry is a monster. He should get better as the season gets later. You know, Julio Jones, A.J. Brown, what do you do, right? Like, I, I wholeheartedly believe this is going to be a fantastic team and they will win the AFC South. So that leaves us with the last one. You know, the team with the prodigal one. The Tim best. Tebow? I didn't say the holy one. <laughs> <laughs> the prodigal one. Trevor Lawrence, you know, the greatest QB talent of a generation. Where do you see him going in the first year? Well, the question is, do you think he starts right away? Yes. Um, Who's going to start? Gardner Minshew? He got rid of his mullet? You know, maybe he's serious. Maybe well, it's all fuck business. out of here. <laughs> there is. Gardner Minshew gets third team reps right now. And Trevor Lawrence is taking the first and second team reps. And Tim Tebow, Tim Tebow will split reps at quarterback with Gardner Minshew before he starts over Trevor Lawrence. Ooh, it's rough down there. Um, I, I'm i probably leading towards seven games, seven wins for Trevor Lawrence in his first season. I think the team has some talent. I think the division is a little easy. Um, I think they can get two wins off of the Texans. They can probably split with the Colts. They'll probably take two L's to the Titans. And you're already at three wins right there. And so you just got to find four other ones. And there, there are some fluky games in the NFL. He will win four more games. I have him right about seven based on gut feeling. I haven't gone through the Jack schedule like I did with the uh, Colts and the Texans. But that feels right to me. I actually have them at six wins. And I think they'll get the two on the Texans. Right. They'll get the Broncos. They'll beat them. And here's some key matchups that people are going to want to watch next year. Week four. We'll get this year's first rep for number one pick versus last year's number one pick in Burrow versus Lawrence. And that's going to be a Thursday night game, all eyes on them only. And I actually think Burrow is going to be healthy and take that game. 
The next one that I think they'll win that's going to be kind of odd is they play in London again. I don't know why the Jags play in London. Their owner. Yeah. Well, they play in London, and they frequently do really well in London. So I think they'll beat the Dolphins in London just because of some odd things happening. Tua's not good. Yeah. yeah. Wow. (laughs) Okay. I didn't mean to say yeah right there. (laughs) What, you think he is good? My jury is still out on Tua. Let's relax. It's been one year. Like, hold the brakes. We've seen this dude do fantastic things. This is off topic, but I heard he threw five picks today in practice. I did, but did you know that it was also pouring, raining during that practice? Ah. Like, it was really bad conditions. It's Miami. He's got a lot to play in that. Look, it wasn't just like, all I want to say, it wasn't like sunny day, perfect conditions, everything going like well, and two is just out here bombing the picks. You can't tell me that Nick Saban at one point wasn't dunking balls in water at practice in the rain. Okay, look. Because he's just like Bill Belichick, and he would do that too. I get it. I'm just saying, let's be calm. There was also that story of Jordan Love being terrible in practice and that came out in the very next day we found out he threw like five straight touchdowns or something crazy and he played really well it's just a little early let's pump our brakes i also think they might grab a win against the colts week 10 i see that yep and that those are the wins that i have outside of like the obvious wins that you pointed out that i think the jazz can actually take so I want to know what you all think. Who do you all think is going to win the AFC South? And how many wins do you think rookie prodigy Trevor Lawrence gets? It's a, it, it, it's a Playboy affair. All right, all right, all right. We're bringing it back. We haven't got one of these in a while. Let's talk the fly route. Huge shakeup at the NBA today, but the one I want to talk about the most, because it's the one that we predicted. Like, I went back to episode nine, DeMarcus, back when we weren't even on video, and Stan Van Gundy had been hired for the Pelicans. He did not get rave reviews on the Fly Route podcast. I can tell you that. Fast forward one season, he is out as their head coach. Zion is going on his third coach in three years. He should have his same coach for the third year in Alvin Gentry, but neither Mm. here nor there, right? Let's talk about it. What is the fly route for the next New Orleans Pelicans coach? Well, we got to start with why Van Gundy is not there. I think that's the most important thing. All of the reports, all of the rumors, all of the chatter out of New Orleans say that he just didn't get along with the star players there. I don't know if it was Lonzo. I don't know if it was Zion. I don't know if it was Ingram. There were active rumors about Ingram. Ingram was act directly in May about this. And you know what he said? It's okay. There's a lot of, you know, ups and downs. I'm not really used to his style, but he has some things that he's been able to teach me. Not glowing. Mm-mm. Everybody has said, you know, Josh Hart was even like, yeah, his style of coaching is not something that I'm used to or really mesh with. 
all like a lot of the players. That's something that kept coming up. Not that he's bad at the X to nose. Not that he doesn't understand basketball. He doesn't connect with people. really well. Young people. Yes, young people. Yeah, that was the report I heard as well. I have another report from the Times Spokane, um, who says that his mindset, his approach with the players, his mentality, the way he talked to them was all off. They, I, Not just Ingram, multiple star players did not like it. And so you got to start there. If I'm David Griffin and I'm looking at this team, Zion's third, going to his third year, fourth year, whatever, I want him to resign when this contract is up. I need to make him happy. I need to make the playoffs. I need someone who's going to be good. Three coaches in three years is not a good start to re-signing Zion Williamson. Not a great look. So I'm thinking about a coach who hasn't worked because they love doing that, who has an ability to connect with players, who can still help them on defense, who can establish kind of the foundation for a winning program. You know where I'm going, right? I am interested to hear it. I'm about to beat this dead horse one more time. Mark Jackson should have this job. I think he would be a fantastic... Hold on. Who? Mark Jackson. Mama, there goes that man. Mama, there goes that man. He needs a job, first off. There's no reason this man should not have a job. Everybody else has gotten a retread, but Mark Jackson. So here's the deal. I think, number one, um, he's a great relationship builder. He helped form the core in Golden State. He was a part of some really tough Knicks teams and Pacers teams in the 90s. I think he knows how to bring along a young point guard, how to help him see the court. And Lonzo had his best season, and I still think there's room for growth for him in New Orleans. I think they've got to maximize Zion, right? Minutes-wise, rotation-wise, etc. He's got some health issues, concerns-ish. And then Ingram as well. Ingram had a great year. We thought Ingram had the skill set to be KD. After KD's performance last night, that seems like a ridiculous <laughs> comparison. So yeah. I think Mark Jackson can bring the young core together. I think he can help them find what they do best and bring it out of them. And most importantly, is a great relationship builder. I've never heard any player say anything bad about Mark Jackson. You know, that's very interesting because... Every time Mark Jessic comes up, we always hear the word politics. Right? I think he fits in in the New Orleans politics. Re- oh, okay. With the kind of the fans, the family who owns the team, etc. The kind of I love going to church oh, mentality. That family fussed with Chick-fil-A? Yes. <laughs> that will work there. <laughs> okay. That, that. Okay. That. Okay. That is interesting to me. So, though, the first thing I want to say is. One person has to get a very, very, very strong look, and that's Teresa Weatherspoon. Familiar, right? She's a assistant coach on the team now. She played professional basketball in the WNBA for a couple years, 16 years overall when you count WNBA and overseas experience. She was one of the original players on the New York Liberty. Like, one thing that's very clear is she understands and she knows basketball the second thing that is very clear to me is that all the players speak glowingly about Teresa Witherspoon and the whole issue you just had was connection with the players being able to motivate them 
being able to get them to buy into the scheme. And that is huge, right? If it is clear based off everything you heard from the players that this is a person that they can buy into and you know they know basketball, they have to be at the top of your list. So I don't disagree, but I think it's the wrong city for this. Mm. Right players, right GM, right coach, wrong city. I don't think this the city doesn't matter to me if they are winning. That is the thing. Because the city will always fall in line if you win. They will murder you if you lose. I do agree that if they did really badly with her, then it could get ugly. But I believe this is important to say she needs to be promoted within the staff. It is clear she needs a more leadership position in the staff. But the fly route for me is actually Jason Kidd. And this is the key variable. Point Zion is the future of New Orleans. That was the one thing that they got from Stan Van Gundy that needs to stay and might be worth it in terms of the overall like year is that Point Zion is the future of New Orleans. This might mean that Lonzo is a sign-and-trade target or they're just going to have to let him walk because even though Lonzo has taken massive strides in his three-point shot, can't spot up, shoot the three, his greatest asset on the court is running an offense. And if you're going to go into Point Zion, you end up having to lose Lonzo. But I keep thinking defense, defense, defense. That was this team's problem. Jason Kidd isn't a defensive guru, right? But... But Jason Kidd's big, big thing is that, one, he is super into player development. He's the one that developed Giannis. Giannis playing power forward, but playing the point, basically, engaging the offense for his team. Who put him in that position? Kidd's pretty good. Yeah. I like Kidd. Yeah. And the second thing is he's a legend to these kids. He's not old, rusty, and they think he's outdated. He's a legend to the current players. Stan Van Gundy was a legend to last, last generations of players. Maybe. <laughs> like two back. <laughs> but seriously, so I think that he can create a large buy-in. He can be very popular in that locker room. And you have a lot of young talent you need to develop to the next level. Yeah, go ahead. I don't have a problem with kid. He just seems really happy where he's at. I mean, he pulled his name out of the Portland job. I don't think that he wants to leave. He pulled his name out of the Portland job because Dame actively said, I'm the person, he's the person I want. And he pulled his name out because he was like, I, I don't feel comfortable and you won't feel comfortable running a search when the guy with all the power in your locker room and in your organization said, he's the guy I want. So that makes a lot of sense. Another possibility I had heard was that kid may have talked to Dame and asked the question of whether or not Dame was going to stay in Portland long-term, like guaranteed. Like, will he resign when his next deal comes up? And he didn't get a yes. Oh, I did not hear that. 
Um, I heard that was a possibility. And I mean, I don't know if it's just people who want Dame to leave Portland saying that or what, but it doesn't seem too ridiculous if that kid could reach out and have that conversation and Dame might say, I don't know what I'm going to do. And if I'm kid, I stay away from there too. If I don't, if I'm not going to Portland with no Dame. I agree. I agree. I had not heard that. That makes a lot of sense, but his name popped up in a lot of other coaching vacancies and he hasn't actively withdrawn his name from anywhere else. So that would make some sense. That that's fair. Now, Witherspoon or Weatherspoon, not Wither, Weather. Listen, I think from what you say, I you know more about her than I do, but it sounds like she is very deserving of an opportunity to be a head coach in the NBA. I just don't know if New Orleans is the right place. This is very much a football town, so that gives her some cover because they're more forward about the Saints and the post-Drew Brees era. But if it goes bad, which this team has never been good, so it could go bad. It is most likely going to go bad no matter who gets the job. It'll be used as an excuse not to give more women coaching jobs in the future. And that's the one thing I don't want. I want that. Whether or not it's right or wrong, I think that's what will happen. And so I want the first woman to be a head coach in the NBA to be successful right out of the gate. I don't know that New Orleans is that situation. Okay, I'm going to be real honest with you. You remember when Stephen A. Smith was like Stephen Nash getting the Brooklyn job as white privilege? Mm -hmm. It's not just like he shouldn't be a head coach in the NBA, but his first head coaching position was a Maserati of a team, right? And frequently, you don't see a lot of minority candidates get in the Maserati. They get the Honda, right? And they frequently make that Honda overachieve Nate McMillan and get fired anyway. Nate McMillan. And then somehow lands himself a Ferrari with Trey Young and Atlanta. And we see what he's doing now. Or even hell, Monty Williams. Yeah. Another example out of New Orleans. So I'm just saying that shouldn't be the reason why we don't give women head coaches their shake because someone has to break the ceiling to make it happen more often. I think Becky Hammond's at the forefront of the possibility to break that ceiling for good reason. But like I don't I don't want to ever hear like they won't get more jobs afterwards, so they shouldn't get this job because the job that you're generally thinking of that you would like them to get into, they ain't usually getting anyway. And I want to be clear. That's not what I'm saying should happen. I think that's how the other owners in the NBA will take it if that's what happens. I think it's a more prediction about their mentality than how I think it should be. I don't think that should be the case. I think if she's deserving, she should get the job. I'm saying that mentality is the reason why they will never get the ideal job that you have in your mind in the first place in most situations. We just saw Steve Nash get the Brooklyn job with no coaching experience, right? And Steve Nash is up. Hall of Fame legend, one of the greatest point guards to ever play this game. It's not like he's unqualified. I'd honestly rather see her go to Portland, <laughs> which I think fits so much better. 
See, interesting, <laughs> interesting. I'll say that. I think the fly rod's Mark Jackson. Um, if they want to go the traditional mold, but I think she's a great choice. I think Kid's not a bad choice. I just think he may want to be somewhere else besides New Orleans. That's all. All right, all right, all right. Let's get into the all NBA teams. They came out yesterday, right? Which is Tuesday for us. We're recording on Wednesday night. First, I'm going to let people know who are on the teams. All NBA first team, the guards, Steph Curry. You got anything to say? Okay. Nothing. Luka Doncic. Forwards, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, center. Nikola Jokic. I have no complaints with the first team. Like, I think that's pretty good. I disagree. Okay. And I will get there after the second team. All-NBA second team. Guard, Dame Lillard. Guard, Chris Paul. Forward, LeBron James and Julius Randle. Center, Joel Embiid. Damian Lillard undeniably should be All-NBA first team. Over Steph or Luca? Like, which one of them had a worse season than Luca? Over Luca. Dame was legitimately an MVP candidate for the majority of the year, and Luca's name dropped out. How early on? Very early on. And that shows you that people in general, even the media voters in general, kind of felt that Dame's season was more MVP-worthy or better than Luka's season all year long. So it makes a lot of sense to me that Dame Lillard should be All-NBA first team. Steph and Dame were the only two guards besides CP3, which came in very late. They were legitimately in the MVP discussion this year. So here's my thing. I'm talking about more guys who didn't make the All-NBA team at all. And this is more particular because it has such a big impact on contracts these days. If you don't make an all-NBA team or win an MVP or defensive player of the year, you have no risk, zero risk of getting a Supermax contract. And so I think the nitpicking between first and second team is a little small. I'm I always, I always feel more for the guys who didn't make it at all who deserve to make it. I think both of these things are important, right? But I think it's important. Damian Lillard does not get anywhere near enough credit for how good he is. One thing I'll say, though, is in the actual voting, it's it's kind of close. Like, Luka is at 402 and Dame is at 372. So, I, I'm not disagreeing with you whatsoever. I just more want to focus on the guys who didn't make it at all. We're going to get down there. We have the third team coming up. All-NBA third team, guard Kyrie Irving, guard Bradley Beal. Forwards are Paul George and Jimmy Butler. Center, Rudy Gobert. Now, okay, you want to talk about who didn't get in Mm -hmm. at all. Who is your person that you want to focus on first? So I got a guard that is somewhat maligned and a guard who is very much maligned. It's Ben Simmons for Kyrie Irving. And I think there's a pretty strong case to be made here. They are very different kind of people and players. Both Aussies, strangely enough. But here's the thing. First off, Ben Simmons shows up every week. We know he's going to be there. He's not going to take a sabbatical in the middle of the season. 
Yes, his offense struggled, but he still put up decent numbers. He had 14, 7, and 7. That's pretty solid. He was fantastic. He was a huge different maker on the defensive end of the court every single night and second in defensive player of the year voting. I think that is the reason why I think that he should be in over Kyrie. Okay, so I have a different guard, but my thing was that's what all-NBA defense team is for. That's why I don't think Ben Simmons is a snub because on the offensive end, I mean, what he does is great. He generates a lot of shots, helps run their offense, but he isn't prolific. No. So I think that's what all-NBA defense is. The guard on my list is Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell. I also have him replacing Kyrie Irving, though. So we are kind of in the same area. We don't like Kyrie Kyrie. here. I love Kyrie, but people's real... Kyrie played with James Harden and Kevin Durant. So, of course, their team was supposed to be good. Of course, you're supposed to be the second seed in the East, if not the first. But more importantly to me is the real thing people say for Kyrie, besides the fact that he's Kyrie, is the man had a 50-40-90. So did Malcolm Brogdon that year, but we weren't like, oh, guaranteed all-NBA player. I love Kyrie's game. I don't like Kyrie the person. I don't care. I don't mind Kyrie the person. But Donovan Mitchell was the best player on the best team in the NBA and somehow did not make an all-NBA team. How? How are you the best player on the best team in the NBA and not all-NBA? I got nothing for you. I'm not, I think he's a snub, too. I, I was I, That one actually quite bothered me. I also thought that he should actually be all-NBA second team and Chris Paul should move down a third. Well, Chris Paul was really strange because he didn't make the All-Star game but got second team All-NBA. He did great things for the team, obviously changed their kind of whole dynamic and culture, made them a winning team. I don't know that he should be All-NBA. Like, great player, point guard, Hall of Famer, all that. This is the residual effect of the late-season Chris Paul MVP campaign. Uh, you're... That's fair. That's probably right. Yes. This is the residual effect of it. All right. The next one I had was Jason Tatum. And it hurts me to say this as a Jimmy Butler stand, right? He was a Chicago Bull. We see red. But I honestly think Tatum was statistically more productive in most major categories than Jimmy Butler. With arguably less help. At least looking on paper. Like, the Miami had a really rough season where, like, they lost Tyler for a bit, lost Jimmy for a bit, lost Tyler again, lost Oladipo, right? They actually had a lot of issues, Mm -hmm. but, like, he didn't lose Bam, and Jason lost Jalen. So I'm with you there. I'm with you there, but I think... Tatum deserved to be all NBA as well. And I originally was thinking maybe a Paul George, but Paul George's stats are actually nuts this year. Like nuts this year. He deserves this all NBA nod. No, the, the one that kind of gets me is a little bit different and it's different because the player, and I don't know where to put him. 
Like, who gets subbed out? And it's Zion. And I think he has an argument for possibly being third-team All-NBA. He had he shot 61% from the field, which is like, you talk, yes, I know the kind of shots he takes. I see the face you're making. He was huge on this team as far as running their offense. You just made that argument in their last segment. And he is one of two All-Stars who did not make an All-NBA roster. Can you be an All-NBA player and your team not make the playoffs? I, I think that's the question. I think that should matter more for the MVP, not All-NBA. I think All-NBA is more of an individual award that looks at how did that player perform throughout the course of the season. And I think if we're just looking at that and disregard the Pelicans record, I think the reason they were even relevant was because of Zion. Yeah, but your individual play needs to be good enough to carry a team to be considered all NBA. So question Paul doesn't have the stats, the raw stats. So question. Yeah. Was Rudy Gobert's play good enough to carry his team? I think at the center position from what they asked for him. Well, what's Zion? See a four or a center. Rudy Gobert is the center on the best team in the NBA. Zion is the center on the like 21st best team in the NBA. That's probably a little low. Uh, Playoffs are 16. They weren't the ninth seed. They weren't. But they're in the West. So maybe 18, 19. Uh, I think that's more reasonable. Sure. sure. Okay. Sure. I'll give you 18th. It doesn't. Okay, and like I said again, I think you're weighing the team success more heavily in All-NBA. I think that matters for MVP for me, but not All-NBA. Y'all, it's Tony Playboy. All right, all right. Let's get into the last segment of our show, the heart of our show, Baller's Bouquet. Too often in the media, people only want to focus on the negative and salacious things athletes do and never want to give them their credit where credit is due. Here, we like to make a change. So for this week's Ballers Bouquet, we're going to take a little bit of a different approach. So about a year ago, there are a lot of things going on in this country, a lot of protests, a lot of civil unrest. Etc. And though this June we don't have the same number of protests, civil unrest, etc., all of the same problems still exist. And that is where I want to focus for this week's edition and maybe the next few weeks' edition of the Ballers Bouquet is a new award that the NBA has put out. And it is the Kareem Abdul Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award. And this award is going to be given to players pursuing social justice and advancing Abdul-Jamar's life mission to engage, empower, and drive equality for individuals and groups who have been historically marginalized or systematically disadvantaged. Now, for those listeners who don't know about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, his life, his career, etc., he is a huge civil rights champion and was one while he was playing. He grew up in New York, to believe in Brooklyn. Um, was, I believe, friendly with Malcolm X, went to his um, speeches, et cetera, when he was a teenager. Um, Later on, he participated in movements with Martin Luther King Jr. Um, He used his platform as an NBA player to spread civil rights messages. He changed his name and converted to Islam and really made the kind of struggles black people were going through in this country a little bit more prominent in the national media. 
so and he's done a heck ton of stuff since then as well that I don't have nearly enough time to get into. So for this new award, the NBA looked at players and they have five nominees they put out and are finalists for this award that did social justice things throughout the past year or so. So the nominees for the award this year are Carmelo Anthony, Harrison Barnes, Tobias Harris, Drew Holiday, and Juan Toscano Anderson. Now, if you've watched our show for a little while, you know that some of these players have gotten the Ballers Bouquet Award for their social justice work on this show already. So today we're going to pay homage to someone who has not gotten as much attention or fanfare and someone whose name you probably don't know. We are giving this week's Ballers Bouquet to Golden State's very own Juan Toscano Anderson. So right now, Juan is a finalist for the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award from the NBA, and particularly his actions during the summer of 2020, about a year ago from today, are the reason why he's nominated for this award, even though you don't know his name. So he did three particular things I want to highlight in this recognition of his service to his community. The first is he organized and led a pair of, quote, walk-in unity uh, marches throughout the streets of downtown Oakland. He invited other star players from the Warriors like Steph Curry and Clay Thompson to walk the streets. And this was a protest um, in opposition of oppression, um, social injustice, and police brutality. He was also joined by other Warriors teammates. And so this was a two walks that happened in Oakland and affected their community. So first off, props are doing that. That was the walk that we kind of heard a lot about that we saw pictures and images of Steph from when he participated in, etc. Now, in addition to that, as we always say, there's more. He also um, led his organization journey to achieve that focused on empowerment of Latino and black families in the Bay Area, Santa Cruz in Mexico, which is also fantastic. But of course, wait, there's more. He also chose an organization called Homies Empowerment, um, which will be his recipient of $100,000 if he is to win the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Justice Champion Award. I need an acronym for that. Can you think of one for me? I'm going to be saying that a lot the next few weeks. Uh-huh. But uh, if he wins this award, $100,000 is going to be donated to Homies Empowerment, which is a community development organization based out of the Oakland that is an independent youth development. And essentially, their mission is to take black and brown youth all over the Bay Area and teach them how to be activists in their own community, teach them how to be better people, etc. So not only is Juan Toscano Anderson doing things for social justice, but particularly doing them in communities that he knows the dynamics of and that he knows how they will, will be impacted. And for that, we want to give him his recognition, his flowers, while he can still smell them. So what you should do if you feel a little inspired is go look up this new award, the Kareem Abdul-Jabbar Social Champion Award. Look social up the player justice social champion. justice champion. See, There's I need an acronym, acronym for that. There's not enough vowels. <laughs> I, I just tried. It was tough. I, I promise you. Okay. Anywho, go look up the finalists for this award for the award. Go look up what they've done. Go look up the organizations they have chosen to donate to. If they win this award, 
And if you're feeling good, it's Friday. Why don't you go donate? We'll have some information for you about these organizations on our Twitter. Make sure you follow us at the Fly Route Pod. We'll see you next week. Let's 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 play, boy. All right, all right, all right. That is it for episode thirty nine of the Fly Route Podcast. All right, we are getting real close to forty, but we always want to say we appreciate each and every single one of you. Whether you're listening on Spotify, Apple, Podchaser, YouTube, catching out clips on Twitter or Facebook, wherever it is, wherever you you are, we appreciate all of you all, and we can't wait to bring you all another episode next Friday. Don't forget to like and subscribe wherever you follow us at, whether it's Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, or Facebook. See you next Friday. <laughs>